Merry Christmas, everyone. We're celebrate, or we're in the octave of Christmas, and as well, not only Merry Christmas, but as we mentioned in the beginning of the Mass, uh, we celebrate the Feast of the Holy Family. Priests of the Holy Family is always celebrated the Sunday within the octave, uh, the following Sunday after, after Christmas, Christmas Day. But note how I say we celebrate the Feast of the Holy Family and not the Perfect Family. So, which is interesting, right? Because if there was any family to be called perfect, it'd be, it'd be this one. Two out of the three members of the family knew no sin. Joseph was a, Joseph was a righteous man, but he, he, was still, he was still a sinner. So we don't, we don't call it the perfect family, call it the holy family. We also don't call it the perfect family because it was a family who also knew trials and challenges and distress you probably misunderstandings, right? Remember, Jesus was, was left in the temple, right? And certainly during that chaotic time, there was probably some sort of maybe misunderstanding between some members in the, in the family, something like just stuff going on. And I think it's just important for us to have on the forefront of our mind when we, when we, when we look at today and, and we look at what the Lord might want us to glean from celebrating the Feast of the Holy Family because every family has their issues. Every family has riffs and messiness and drama. And we all know that because we all, every single one of us here, we all come and are part of a family. Like even priests, right? I was, I was in the kindergarten class a couple of years ago. I remember we we're talking about this. Everybody comes from a family and a kindergarten raised their hand and said, well, well what, about, what about priests though? You know, as if like priests are dropped off by a carrier pigeon or something and landed on the doorstep. So as we look at our readings, drawing from our readings, I want to just look at two things for us to think about, about family life, and that is resisting the culture of disrespect, and secondly, resisting being dissatisfied. So first, resist the culture of disrespect. You may ask, well, Father Mark, what's the culture of disrespect? And to answer that, I, I want to use Dr. Leonard Lacks, who is a... Um, He's an author and he's a family physician and he wrote an article some time ago in the Wall Street Journal explaining in his office as a family physician of a scenario that took place in his office between a mom and her son. He goes, he, he writes, he says, Kyle, who is the son, Kyle was, was absorbed in a video game on his cell phone. So I asked his mom, how long has Kyle had a stomach ache? Mom said, I'm thinking it's been about two days. Then Kyle replied, shut up, mom. You don't know what you're talking about. And he gave a snorty laugh without looking up from his video game. Kyle was 10 years old. He goes on in the article and says, he says, I've been a physician for 29 years. This sort of language and behavior from a 10-year-old was very rare in the 1980s and 90s. It would have been unusual a decade ago. It is common today in my office. America's children are immersed in a culture of disrespect toward parents, toward teachers, and toward one another. They're learning from television, even on the Disney Channel, where parents are portrayed as clueless, out of touch, or absent. They learn it from celebrities or the internet. They learn it from social media. They teach it to one another. They wear t-shirts emblazoned with slogans like, I'm not shy, I just don't like you. That's the culture of disrespect. We, 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 all, we all know that. I think we, we, we feel it. 
Contrast that with the scriptures, our readings today. Contrast that with the Bible. The book of Sirach, we heard in chapter 3, says God sets a father over his children. A mother's authority he confirms over her sons. Whoever honors his father and atones for sins and preserves himself from them. St. Paul in Colossians, we heard in our second reading, says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord. So, like, so, so children here this morning, if you are disobedient to your parents, if you don't obey them, it is a serious sin. Like unless they're asking you to do something immoral and is going against your conscience, it, it, it is a serious sin. So if, if your parents ask you or, or say, I want you home by 11, 10 more, 10 more minutes, I only want 10 more minutes on the, video, on the video game and then turn it off. You know, I, I don't want you to have this phone or I don't want you to have this app. You know, it, it's helpful to remember, okay, just remembering they're, they're, they're saying these things, they're asking me this because they love me. But we're called to obey our parents. Now, the catechism makes it really clear, like when we, be, when we become adults, we don't have to obey our parents when we become adults. But we still have to show them honor and respect. That, so that goes for us for all, like even as we get older, we, 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 as we become adults, we no longer have to obey our parents, but we still owe them and they, they are due honor and respect. The fourth commandment is honor your mother and father. That, that doesn't cease, cease with age. And, and to know that the fourth commandment is, is, a, is a commandment concerning justice. You know, you maybe say, well, Father Mark, you don't, you don't know my parents. Like, you don't, you don't know my parents. And in, in all seriousness with that, like, they're, because we're, no parents are perfect, like, we deal with things because of our parents. Like, we, we've got to work through some things because of our household and with our parents. As we get older, like, we've got wounds. We've got hurts. Things that we have to navigate and work through. That, that, that is the case for all of us because none of us have, we all come from dysfunctional families because we all have dysfunctional hearts and none of us have perfect parents. So that is the case for all of us here. It really is. And some of us, and I say this gingerly, for some of us, it is, it, it, it's, it, there's more of that woundedness than others. But we're still called to respect and honor our parents. Because the commandment, it's like God knew, God, when he set this commandment, he knew that that was the case. He, it's not like that he said, honor your perfect mother and, and, your, and honor your perfect father. Like he, he, he knows this is in the context of dysfunction and, and brokenness and sin. And so for any of us here, go, go to confession on this, to say you're sorry to your parents. I've gone to confession and I've said sorry to this, said sorry to my parents on this, on this more times than I would like to admit to you. And I was even, I was talking to a priest on the phone yesterday afternoon about this. And, you know, we're just talking and just like recounting, even at my age now, when I, there's a time when I'm, I'm short with my mom or I kind of have that, like that rolling eye thing and, and like, and, and it's a dishonor. Like, there's like nothing that I that 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 gives me guilt more than that. 
because it's the way we know it deep in our bones. It's how God has, has, has ordained it and, and, and structured it. So we, we need to resist the culture of respect. And, and also, I think it's important to say for parents here, like you, you know you play the, the pivotal role in us resisting the culture of disrespect today. And New Year's Day, tomorrow, New Year's Day is as good time as any to sit down with your children and maybe say, hey, there, there's got to be some changes in our household. Like the way, we, the way we've talked to each other, it, it's, it's gotten a little loose. The way you talk to mom, it's gotten a little loose this past year. And so, so there's going to be some changes. So that's, and also it's important to say, like resisting the culture of disrespect, it's for all of us here. Even those of us that don't have, have kids or kids are grown or like myself that don't have kids, it's part of all of us that, that, to resist the culture of disrespect. What does Paul say again in Colossians? He says, put on as God's chosen ones. Who's that? That's all of us. All of us here. Put on as God's chosen ones, what? Heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Bearing with one another. What is that? It's my imperfect sibling, my imperfect parents, my imperfect child. What do I have to do? I've got to bear that. I've got to bear one another. I've got to bear all that imperfection. And then, for, and, and then forgive, which we know can be incredibly difficult. But we've got to resist the culture of disrespect. Secondly, is, is guard against being dissatisfied with family life. It's interesting. It's almost like a throw away two verses in our gospel. It's almost like a postscript. You got this long narrative of, of the, the presentation of Jesus, Mary, Joseph going to Jerusalem. And then the last two verses says, when they had fulfilled all of the prescriptions of the law, they return to their town of Nazareth, where Jesus grew in wisdom and strength. A couple verses later, mentions how they returned back to Jerusalem. And that's when, you know, Jesus at 12 years old got left behind. But listen, it's important to, to know or to realize and to recall that other than that, the most followed person in the history of the universe, the most followed person we know nothing about from when he was 40 days old to when he was 30 years old, other than that one time when he was 12 and it was filled with commotion and drama. Other than 40 days old to 30 years old, we know nothing about his life other than the fact that he was just simply, ordinarily in a house, in a home with family. And there's something beautiful about the hiddenness of that, that it was just so ordinary and so mundane that it didn't even get in the scriptures. And the point with this is there is an increased temptation in our modern time as moderns to be dissatisfied with family life, to be dissatisfied with family meals, to be dissatisfied with our spouse, to be dissatisfied with our siblings, to be dissatisfied with raising children. And the evil one wins when we become dissatisfied with family life. And, you know, you, you can see it playing out in many different ways. I've preached on it a number of times here already, but pl playing it out, you know, even a more recent poll that found that 40% of American young adults 
say that marriage has outlived its usefulness. 40% of American young adults say that marriage has outlived its usefulness. And so they're not getting married. It's, and the, the reasons for it are many, but one is this increasing increasing, increasingly hyper novelty, this novelty that we're always expected to be excited and we're always expected to be entertained. We're always expected, right? I mean, you know, just like a swipe left, right? A new face, newness and excitement and entertainment. With all the entertainment, what it, what it, what it can do is that on the surface, family can appear shallow. Family life can, can appear old. But the reality is that family is deep. Family life is rich. There's always something new that you can discover with your spouse. There's always something new that you can discover with your children or with your sibling. And that can be thwarted in a culture of just hyper, hyper novelty. But the reality is that marriage is oftentimes not exciting. Raising children is oftentimes not exciting. Going to work is oftentimes not exciting. So for us to be satisfied with family life and to resist the culture that expects us to just to be entertained all the time and to not, and, and then to be dis dissatisfied with family. I want to close here, right? Just drawing us back to the fact that we continue to celebrate Christmas. When, when God took on flesh to redeem and to save. And to also say he also, when he took on the flesh, he also chose to do it in part in a, in, in a family. So not only does Jesus step into the brokenness of human hearts, he also steps into the brokenness of families. He steps, in, he steps into the brokenness of your family and mine. Which is to say, like, everything, like, everything that is lost and broken that in your family, whatever it is lost and broken in your family due to sin, the Lord just says to you, he says, he's like, I, I got it. I got it. I got you. Because I get you. I get it. I get it. He took, God took on flesh and entered into the brokenness of family so that his entire, that's all he did is in the flesh. He was just constantly recapitulating everything to restore, to make new, to redeem. And so as we turn to the Lord in the Eucharist with, 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 any, with the dissatisfaction in our hearts, with the brokenness, with the messiness in our family, we, we want to come with an expectation to meet him because he comes. That's what Christmas is. He come, he came. And he comes to us today in whatever it is where I need him to speak into with regards to family life.